0: Today I'm going to preach on the topic of God's divine providence. All right, everybody say providence. all right? God's divine providence. Now this is a uh, theological word. It's a doctrine that I believe that every Christian needs to be uh, rooted in. right? God's divine providence. What is providence? Right. Um, Wayne Grudem, he says this. He says, Divine providence is a doctrine saying that God is continually involved with all of creation, cooperating with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, and directs them to feel, fulfill, ah, fulfill his purposes. All right? That's what Wayne Grudem says. Let me translate that for us. All right. <laughs> Simply put... God's providence is God's divine wisdom and plan intricately woven into our lives. Let me say that again. Did I translate that to a more complicated language, right? God's divine wisdom and plan intricately woven into our lives. Meaning God is in control, but God is not controlling. God is in control, but he is not controlling. He he did not just create all things, marveled at it, said it was good, and left it alone. You see, God, he created all things and he'd enter into his creation intricately and intentionally involved in all of creation. That is God's providence. And you and I are always right in the middle of his palms. You and I are right in the middle. This church, us as individuals, we are right in the middle of his palms. Amen? You know, in order to understand God's providence, we need to zoom out. Everyone say, zoom out. right? We've got to see and accept God's bigger plan and picture. We've we got to view life. like I like to say this. We've got to view life from the balcony of heaven, right? Where when we zoom out and we go higher, from the balcony of heaven, we see life, and what is actually really small becomes small. What is actually really big becomes big. We see a greater clarity and, re- and a heavenly reality when we zoom out, right? We see God's providence. We've got to zoom out to the balcony of heaven. Otherwise, our immediate things we see in our current circumstances will shape our view of God rather than God shaping our view of our circumstances in our here and now, you see, when we don't get a grip of how great God's providence is, when we don't take time in our lives to zoom out, right? Zoom out of our lives, zoom out of our uh, our immediate here and now. Our here and now begins to shape our view of God, rather than God shaping our here and now, right? You see, we need to see God for who He really is. Who Scripture says He is. Now, can you imagine this? What if God, what if God was exactly how we want Him to be? Right? What if God... And our version of God, our caricatures of God, was the reality. It may bless us, but, you know, it's kind of like the sun. The sun has to be, everything has to revolve around the sun, not the other way around. Everything would get destroyed. We're too sinful. We're too selfish, right? So, God is way bigger than our caricatures of him. I want to say a little bit more on God's providence. And this is really important. God's divine providence is rooted in his greatness and his goodness. His providence is rooted in his greatness and his goodness. God is good all the time. We all know that. A lot of us know that, as we can see, right, from today. You see, God is great. How great is our God? God is so great, He made all things. How majestic is His name. But God is also good. Because if God was only great but not good, uh oh, we'd be in trouble. If God was only great but not good. You see, God is great, saying He is set apart he is powerful, he is magnificent, he's majestic, he's the Lord of Lords, he's a King of Kings, there's a technical term for this, it's called God's transcendence. Everyone say God's transcendence. But you see, God is also good, meaning he's merciful, he's gracious, he's forgiving, he's compassionate, he's near, he's patient, he's kind, he's involved, in our lives, that's God's goodness, and the term for that is called God's imminence. Everyone say God's imminence. God's transcendence describes His greatness. God's imminence describes His goodness. Another another way of putting His imminence is His nearness. His closeness. His involvement in our lives. Why am I talking about God's greatness and goodness? Is because to understand God's divine providence, we got to understand that he's not only great and powerful, but he's also good and involved with all that he created. That's God's providence. You see, in other religions, all other gods might be characterized as great. But it's questionable how these religions may describe their God's goodness. Great and powerful and the fear of the Lord is very strong in many other traditions. But it's God's goodness that invites us into an actual relationship with the creator of heavens and earth, right? You see, I grew up hearing this all the time. God is good all the time. It's so easy to say. It's such a good jingle. But it's so tough to believe in our lives. But the truth stands. His will is good. His plan is good. It's perfect. He is perfect in all of his ways. If you believe that with me, say amen. Hallelujah. Now God's providence, one more thing about that is God's providence helps us to let go. Tell your neighbor to let go. And surrender to his will. Whether we understand it or not. Rather than sizing God up to our will and our terms, right? God sizes us up. And we stand before a holy and mighty God. And God's providence, it frees us from taking control of our own lives. God's providence, it it frees us from worry. It frees us from anxiety. Whenever I find myself anxious or worrying, all these thorns choking away all these seeds in my life, whenever I find myself tripping out in life, I take some time to close my eyes, pause, breathe, and I remember God's providence. And when God's providence sinks into our hearts, anxiety, worry begins to fade away because we can let go of control. Not only because God is great and He can handle it, but because God is good and he wants to handle it. He wants to be there for us. Cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. God's providence helps us to trust him and be confident in who God is. If there's one point that I want us to remember this whole sermon, and I'm going to say it again and again, and it's this. God is always doing something so much greater than what we may know, see, or perceive. That's my main point of this sermon today. God is always doing something so much more, so much greater than what we can perceive, what we can see, what we can experience in the here and now. He's always doing something so much greater. John Piper, I like the way he says this, God?" He says, God is doing 10,000 things right now, and we may be aware of three of them. So when we think about this, about God's providence, like we feel, don't we become smaller and God becomes greater? Don't the issues of our lives, as important as it is to God, doesn't it give us a kind of confidence in our hearts as we approach him that I'm safe? My life is safe. When I think of God's providence, I think of this man. His name is Joseph in the Bible. Now, we don't have time to read Genesis chapter 37 all the way to 50, which is the Joseph narrative. And I encourage you to read it, right? Read the life of Joseph. It will humble you, right? At that time, Joseph, he was the mangne. He was the youngest brother. He had 10 older brothers. Anybody mangne in here? Yeah, youngest, right? Now, imagine you have 10 older brothers, right? Now, you are the youngest, right? And the Bible says that their father, Jacob, loved Joseph and even showed much favor to Joseph. He loved him the most, and it made his brothers very jealous. All right? Now, one day, Joseph had too much chicken, and he went to sleep, and he had these two crazy dreams. All right, before I say these two dreams... Let me tell you about a dream that I had. Right? Here's a dream I had. I went to sleep, and in this dream, right, I was climbing up this huge hill. Right? I was climbing up this huge hill. I finally got to the top of the hill, and there was a garden. A garden with all these flowers. Right? All these flowers are there, bright and blooming. And I get to the top of the hill, and I look at the hill. The flowers look at me, and the flowers bow down. Flowers bow down. That was my dream. All right? Now, I'm just kidding. That was not my dream. I just made that up. <laughs> because if I were to interpret that dream, can you imagine? I can't imagine how you guys would respond if I interpreted this dream saying that I climbed this huge hill to Shilin Sanctuary and all these flowers would bow down to me. How ridiculous is that? You know what I'm saying? That's, you guys would all walk out or kick me out. You guys probably kick me out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> J. But Joseph is a little boy, just innocently just sharing his dreams. He gets two dreams. First dream. He sees ten, ten stalks of grain, right? And Joseph, he's standing there. And then these ten stalks of grain bow down to Joseph. Second dream is that he sees the moon and the stars right, the moon, the sun, and the stars, and he sits there, and these things bow down to him. He does have these dreams. He's not making it up, right? He goes to his brothers, (laughs) his 10 brothers, (laughs) and he goes to his parents, hey, I just had this dream. I just want to share it with you. He shares his dream, right? Now, the parents, they're humble. They're like, hmm, maybe there is something, but their brothers. They're angry. Who does this kid think he is? They're already jealous of him. So what do they do? They do something that probably none of us have experienced before from our own siblings. They hated him so much, they plan to kill him. But instead of killing him, they profit off of him. Because these merchants are coming by. Instead, they sold their own Magne brother cheap into slavery to the Midianites. Can you imagine being sold as a slave by your own family. Can you imagine the heartache of being separated by his parents that love him so much? He has no idea what's going on. Kid, just dreaming, right? And he gets sold by his family. My brother sold me into slavery. Can you imagine your testimony? Like later on, like you're your sharing testimony. Yeah, in my life, my brother has sold me into slavery. That's crazy. Later on in life, after he's sold into slavery, guess what? The merchants, they get tired of him. The Midianites, they get tired of him. And then guess what? He gets sold again, like a piece of merchandise, right? He gets sold again to this ruler named Potiphar. So here is this kid, Joseph, and here's testimony. He said, I got sold into slavery twice. (laughs) I got sold twice, right? And then all of a sudden, he experiences a little bit of favor, Right, He gets sold to Potiphar. Who's Potiphar? He's second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. He's the vice president. right? He gets sold to him, and the, all of a sudden, Potiphar, he gives a little bit of favor to Joseph. And all of a sudden, he says, hey, I want you to take care of this land. I want you to be in charge here. And now, Joseph's given a little bit of authority here. right? And guess what happens? This blows my mind. Joseph is being faithful with with what's been given to him after all that all the suffering he has gone through. And then all of a sudden, he's working one day. This lady comes through. Potiphar's wife. Potiphar is out doing his business. He's hanging out with his friends, whatever he's doing. And then his wife. I believe the Bible says that she is, she's tight. Right, You know what I'm saying? She's tight, right? She comes through, and she is not even playing any games. She goes up to Joseph and be like, hey, brother, sleep with me. Let's get it on. My husband is gone. Let's do this. Now, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Uh, if I was Joseph, I don't know. <laughs> you know why? Because I've come to experience this. When we suffer in life, you know what happens? Entitlement creeps in. When we go through stuff, suffering, injustice, what begins to happen is we begin to zone in on ourselves and entitlement comes in. You know, for Joseph to go through all that he went through, he looks that woman in the face and you know what he says? I've been entrusted with all of this. How can I do this before Potiphar? How can I do this before God? God has been too good. Hey, He says, God has been too good after all that he's been through? And Joseph stands as a man of integrity right there. No entitlement through all that he was going through. A man of integrity. So what happens? Potiphar's wife, Grabs his clothes, you know, grabs her clothes, rips it off, and tells everybody that Joseph tried to rape her. Who are people going to believe? The woman. Right? So now injustice comes along. Now Joseph, he's not only been sold twice, but now he's being accused of something that he's never done before. And then guess what happens? He gets thrown into prison for something he didn't do. Here Joseph is, reflecting back on his life. I've been sold twice by my own brothers. I will never see my mother and father again. I've been accused of raping someone. I've never done, it's such injustice and now I'm here sitting in prison. What a life. What a life. In the meantime, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, right, he has his dream. He has his dream and then Joseph hears about this dream, right? Long story short, guess what happens? Joseph gets out of jail, right? Joseph gets out of jail because he interprets these dreams for the king. These dreams go something like this. There's seven fat cows and there's seven ugly, dry, skinny cows. And these seven fat cows come through and eat up all the skinny, dry cows, Wait, other way around. (laughs) Thanks, JM. Right? The thin cows eat the fat cows, all right? Right? And then Joseph interprets this, and Joseph's given supernatural wisdom. And he's saying, King, am I, you know, I'm I'm hearing from God, I'm hearing this wisdom. I feel like you should, you know, what's going to happen is there are going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance, of harvest. And then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. Famine so bad, people are going to forget, about, forget that there were seven years of plenty. He says, I suggest, Pharaoh, that you set apart a fifth of these crops every year to save up. The king was impressed. Favor comes through. And he appoints him, right, as basically prime minister. Pharaoh, he brings him out of jail. He gives him favor. Now... He's one of the most powerful men in Egypt. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. Now, guess what's happening? Everyone, after seven years of abundance, they're doing that. They're saving a fifth of all their crops. They're storing it up. And lo and behold, after those seven years, famine hits the land so bad, everybody around them is dying. Dying to the point where they all have to come to a specific place to get food. Where is that place everyone is coming to? Egypt. And who's in Egypt? Joseph. So who comes to Egypt? His family comes. His family comes. So now he's decked out in all this gold, right? He's decked out in all this gold, and then the day finally comes. He least expects it. His brothers come through. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he goes back and he loses it. He starts crying. He's weeping. His heart is hurting. Why? He's now facing the people that sold him into slavery. Now, Joseph, he comes to his brothers and he says the scripture that we read today. Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Can you see that? Joseph sees it. God meant, can you imagine all that he had gone through and the courage it took and the faith it took for Joseph to say those words to his brothers. God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Wow. Evil happens, but God is still a Redeemer. He changes it all for good and His glory. If Joseph did not go through all that he had gone through, he would not have been set up to enter into his destiny and his calling. If Joseph didn't go through everything that he had gone through, he, had not, he would not be able to be set up to save his own family. If Joseph hadn't been sold twice, if Joseph hadn't, been, hadn't gone through that injustice and gone through jail, called up out of Pharaoh, if Joseph hadn't gone through all, all that, guess what? Everybody around him would have died because of the famine. God's providence. Let me say this one more time. God is always doing something so much greater than what we than what we may know, see, or perceive. Joseph didn't know. But when he says that verse we read today, he's like, "Yeah, that's right. God is doing something so much greater. There is purpose. There was purpose." everything I went through. That's God's providence. It's not chance. It's God's goodness and His greatness. Amen? I want to share this incredible story about missionaries named Ruth and Gary. All right? There's these two missionaries I know from the name Ruth and Gary. Missionaries Ruth and Gary served as full-time missionaries Because they had a burning heart to share the gospel with unreached and unengaged people groups in Indonesia. God gave them a huge heart to reach Muslims. And they have been serving there since 2004. Ruth and Gary, Indonesia since 2004. Instead of staying in the city, they lived and did life more inland, where most of the radical Islamic population was the highest and where the Islamic faith was the strongest. With a platform of teaching English, Korean, other languages, and other NGO where God did so many things in them and through them since 2004. After years of assimilation, you see, when you go as a full-time missionary, you have to go through years of learning the language, learning the culture, assimilation, enculturation, prayer every day, prayer walks, tilling hard soil in that land. After years of doing that, God finally opened the door for their dream for a church planting movement to come through. After eight years of assimilation, guess what happened? God started opening doors where they started going very inland to remote villages and for a couple of years, they began to build relationships with them. They began to pray there. And they began to live out, finally, after eight years, everything that they dreamed to live out. So after ten years of being in Indonesia, in 2014, one evening, the police raided their house. The police raided their NGO. The government found out who they were and what they had been doing, and they interrogated them. And just like that, they were given a notice. They had one week to pack their bags, say their goodbye, and they were to be deported from the nation of Indonesia. So they said their goodbyes, packed their things, gave their stuff away, and they became blacklisted out of Indonesia. On top of that, Ruth was recovering from a fierce battle against cancer and was healing from much chemo that she was going through. Now, can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine the trauma? Can you imagine the grieving? Everything happening so fast. One week to get out. Ten years of cultivating. Ten years of relationships. Ten years of all these things, government says, get out. Can you imagine the confusion? They return back to Korea to seek the Lord, to rest and to heal up. And after months of praying, grieving, receiving counseling, receiving healing, fighting through depression. After months of doing that in Korea, they felt led to be missionaries to somewhere they can still find Indonesians and Muslims to reach. So they finally bought their one-way tickets to a neighboring country called Malaysia, where they continue to, where they continue to serve and journey with the Lord today. Meanwhile, meanwhile, it's 2015. Meanwhile, it was my second year in Korea as a seminary student at Torch. Right. In the summer of 2015, I had connected with some of my other missions mentors, and we were running a month-long intensive discipleship school called SMS. It stands for Summer Mission School. Very creative, right? After the school ended... After the month-long school ended in Korea, four of us, including myself, planned on going on a mission trip to Indonesia. It was my first time. Before going into Indonesia, we first stopped by Malaysia for three days. Why? Because my mentors had connected us with Ruth and Gary in Malaysia. We were to be briefed and to learn about what we were getting ourselves into. For those three days, Ruth and Gary, they were to teach us about Indonesian culture, what to do, what not to do, background about Islam, what we were getting ourselves into. Right? So we did that for three days, and we arrived in Malaysia, and we met up with Ruth and Gary. As they briefed us and gave us our mission, they began to share with us their experiences in Indonesia for the past ten years as well as what had been happening to them in recent years. One thing I remember very clearly of them telling me was this. They said this. We battled, and we are still battling depression. We are still grieving and and still fight unbelief and bitterness to some extent. But when your mentors contacted us and pitched the idea of sending a short-term team into Indonesia where we cannot go in anymore my heart began to come alive again. I began to understand what God was doing. And they said this, We were once arrows to Indonesia. But now God has shown us that now we are the bow and that God will send us arrows to the country that we love the most. You four are now our first arrows where we are launching you into the village that we first started breaking ground. So the mission trip. We were like, wow, this is crazy. (laughs) It was crazy. I was like, God, you're crazy for sending us all this up, right? So we arrived in Indonesia. They were sending us to a remote village where they just began prayer walking, getting to know people, right? For now, let's call this village JJ. I don't want to reveal. By the way, um, that's not their real names, the missionaries. I'm just using code names, right? Let's call this village JJ, right? From two plane rides, a long train ride, a bus ride, and a ghetto cab ride, cab ride, we arrived in a village after a day's travel. And we literally went into a village, said we were foreign tourists who wanted to learn Indonesian culture and offered to teach English for seven days. Basically, we didn't know where we were going to sleep that night. We literally went into there like, all right, God, let's see what happens. We're just going to ask them. We want to teach them English. We'll see what happens. We go in there, and by God's grace, of course, there's a house that wanted to host us. Right? We didn't know what we were going to stay. Two, two families hosted us because we had two girls and two guys on our team. Right? One of our team members, by God's grace, could speak a, speak a little bit of Bahasa, which is the language. Bahasa Indonesia, right? They could speak a little bit, bit of it so we could communicate a little bit. Now, what did these seven days look like? A total bust. A total bust. We had no idea what we were doing. We would do prayer walks every day, gather children and teach worship songs, do some crafts, do a VBS, vacation Bible school, right? And we would just go house to house just performing songs for them. Because it was new for them, right? By the way, this village is a 100% Muslim village. Days seem like forever. Seriously. Each day felt like a month. There were no toilets. Just one river in the village with no toilet paper. Just don't shake my left hand, all right? I'm just saying. It's been years, by the way. I've washed my hand many times, all right? Days seem... Okay. So that's what we're getting ourselves into. And the family we work with, they did tobacco farming. Which means every day, every second of our day, we're secondhand smoking because that ho- that that house was a hot box of just tobacco, right? My alias name, I could we couldn't give our real names uh, in case they had uh, they can get access to Facebook and stuff like that. My real name was Yaya, all right? Yaya, Everyone say Yaya? What's up, Yaya? All right. Now I, I got a couple of pictures to show. So Grace, if you could put that up. What's, oh that those lights so this you guys can't really see it huh okay so this was like the entrance into the village that we were getting ourselves into right and next picture <laughs> 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 all right and this is a house this is the village in the vi- uh, this is a house in the village that we stayed at right next picture and this is the river. all right everyone say the river. The river is knee high. This is where they is a flowing river, thank God, right? <laughs> this is where people did their ballet, laundry. This is where animals swam in, and this is where everybody did their business as well. Of course, it's at the bottom of the river where people do the business, because it flows down, right? That was our toilet for seven days, alright? That was actually also our shower for seven days, right? I showered every day. All right, next picture. All right, that's me, all right? <laughs> that's me in the, in the um, tribal, uh, the, the, the fashion of the times, all right? All right? So that's a little bit of what it looked like, all right? And in our time there, the timing that we went, it was the middle of Ramadan, right? Ramadan is a 30 days of fasting for Islam from sun up to sundown. Once a year, right? So we could not tell them who we are, who we were. We couldn't tell them we're Christians, right? We couldn't tell them that. So we participated in fasting with them for the seven days. What did we do? This, is, this was our every day. 3 a.m., we would wake up. Yep, who's saying that right? Right. right. Three of them, we, uh, 3 a.m., we wake up, and we go to the living room, and there's a feast, all greasy food. We're stuffing ourselves, and then right after, we go to sleep. Can you imagine how you would feel after that? Everyone above the age of 30, you guys know, right? I mean, I was like 20-something then. I was dying, right? First day, we do that. We go to sleep. We wake up at 8 a.m. The whole day, we fast. whole day, we fast. And then, 7.30, right? 7.30 comes through. The sun comes down, and here's the pattern. The pattern was... Uh, buasa right? Buasa, uh mandi, makan. Buasa mandi, makan, which means buasa means fasting, mandi, makan is uh, mandi is washing, and then makan is eating, right? That's the that's the, that's a pattern we did every day. We would feast like crazy, and then at ten o'clock we would go to sleep. Wake up at three a.m. and then we would feast again. <laughs> All right, that's the kind of thing we were doing. It was quite the experience. We would even go to the mosque with them to observe how they prayed. The house we stayed at is about to get good here. The house we stayed at, they had a son, 18 years old. His name was Lily. His name was Lily. And he spoke a little bit of English. And over the seven days, we became so close. He was always around us. We would be together all day. He would translate for us a little bit. We would sing together, learn together, play soccer together, enjoy each other's company. And on the last evening, he was very down, very sad. And we asked him, what's wrong, Lily? And he began to cry in front of us because he knew that we were leaving the next day because they don't get visitors. He knew we were leaving the next day, and we decided to pull an all-nighter just to hang out. That evening, my teammate, his name is Danny, said that he's the one who can speak a little bit of Bahasa. Danny was like, I feel like we need to share the gospel with him somehow. I feel like we should just do it. Yeah, yeah, let's just do it, right? So that evening, we asked Lily to share with us some of what he believes about Islam. And he began to teach us. We talked for hours. After a long conversation, we asked if he could read the Quran. So he busted out his Quran. And fluently, he would read it in front of us in Arabic, the original language of the Quran. We were amazed. And then I pointed to a word and said, can you read that? He said, he read it. And I said, what does this word mean? Guess what he said? I don't know. What I found out was they know how to read it, but they don't know what it says. Recitation is part of their tradition. So after we continued to talk, I then, uh, you know, I, I then uh, After a long conversation, we quietly and carefully began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Lily. Charades, prayers, a little bit of English, a little bit of Bahasa, and we managed to share the gospel. Dosa means sin. And to our surprise, he said that he can never wash away his dosa with his good works. And he always felt so much fear and sadness because of it. And he asked us this question. He asked us, can Isa Almasi, who is Jesus, can Isa Almasi forgive me and wash away my sins? Danny and I looked at each other. We were like, what did he just ask us? Did he really just ask that? Danny continued to share the gospel. And to our surprise, Lily's eyes were getting sweaty. He was crying. He was crying. And guess what he said? I believe everything you're saying, and I feel this strange burning in my heart. Could I follow Isa al We looked at each other, we were like, we share the gospel again and again and again, just to make sure he knew what he was, he was saying, you know what I mean? <laughs> so what happened? We prayed together, and he accepted Isa al into his heart as Lord and Savior. Guess what? In the history of that village, he became the first Christian in that village. We told him that all he had to do was believe in his heart that Jesus died on the cross to wash away our sins and he rose again for a relationship with us. And after that prayer, he had the biggest smiles. And he asked us, is that it? Just believe? Is that all I have to do? Just believe? Do I have to do anything else? And we started teaching him about grace. And Danny looked at me and he was like, Baptism? So Danny and I looked at each other, and we said, let's teach it. The symbolic act of baptism, being dead to sin and alive in Christ, becoming a new creation, symbolism, something to remember, righteous and clean in Christ. Guess what? It was 2 a.m., and he said that he wanted to get baptized. We asked him to guide us to a body of water, and we quietly snuck out, and he took us to that river. That river. Yes. And Danny, and Danny and I, we said no. Because that's where everyone does their business. Is there anybody else? Anywhere else? He's, he proceeded to beg us to baptize him there. What happened that night? We baptized him. Both of us. I've never baptized anyone like at that point, Right? We baptized him. We we, we put him under the water. You are dead to sin, and he came out. You are alive in Christ. And when you look at his face, I wish, I I could take a picture, but it was pitch dark, right? If you look at his face, he was the happiest I've ever seen him that whole time. He shined. His countenance changed. He was laughing. And we asked him, how do you feel? He said, I feel so much peace. I feel so much light in me. I feel so much joy. We went back to his room, snuck in very quietly. He opened his closet, and he took out 20 balloons, and he started blowing all of them. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, we have to celebrate. So we blew the balloons, we celebrated, and we fell asleep on each other. That was the last night. <laughs> Lily became the first Christian in that village. The next day... We said our goodbyes. We got his phone number. We didn't know what would happen. We told him someone will contact him, but to lay low for now, for his safety. We flew back to Malaysia, super excited to meet Ruth and Gary. Super excited to share what just happened. As we met up with them, they were wide-eyed, in awe and in shock, with so much tears streaming down their face. They, got, they immediately got on their knees and began praising God. God was healing their hearts through this testimony. God was revealing to all of us. What was he revealing to us? That God is always doing something so much greater than what we may know, see, or perceive. Amen? But there's more. You guys want to hear it? It gets better. I'm over time, but, you know, it's okay. Basketball can wait. All right? <laughs> what happens? So Ruth and Gary, they make fake IDs, like fake aliases, uh, through social media. And they contacted Lily, and they contacted local leaders they know in Indonesia to go and meet with Lily. So for a whole year, they confirmed, Lily, he's, he's the real deal. He's really saved. And mobile discipleship for a year all the questions that Lily had, they would answer. They would just disciple them for a year, right? And guess what happened? Right? Guess what happened? It's crazy. The day came in 2016 when Gary and Ruth were told by the Indonesian government that they were no longer banned and they could visit anytime. After a couple years of making disciples and building relationships with small churches in Malaysia... What did they do? They made a short-term team from Malaysia and went on a trip together to JJ. They met up with Lily, and together with Lily, they shared the gospel to Lily's family, and all of them accepted Christ. Hey, that's crazy. They all accepted Christ, and many in the village were open to Christianity, and many got saved. I got more pictures to show. So this is the family we stayed with, right? Lily is the striped blue shirt on the right. right? In the middle is his dad. All right. Next picture. And you can't really see, but this is right after Lily got baptized. Next picture? Yeah, it was a little cold. <laughs> That's Danny. And Lily, he's my brother in Christ today, and so is his family. So that happened. God's divine providence. Amen? After all the suffering, grief, depression, confusion, in the darkest times, little did they know that God was setting all this up. God is always doing something so much greater. Not only were many many in the young generation able to taste and see what missions was all about, but even Lily and JJ became a reached village. Through this, God has given them a new vision to raise up the next generation as a bow and to send continually many arrows into the nation. In 2017, they invited a team of us that ran SMS to do a summer mission school in Malaysia. We renamed the school Arrow School. So 2017, if it had not been for God's providence, I would not have such a rich relationship with Gary and Ruth. We would not have seen God's hand move so powerfully in the Arrow School in 2017 and this year, 2018. Michelle went with me to testify. Truly, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are wilder. God is great and God is good. In Joseph's and missionary Ruth and Gary's case, we were revealed to why things happen later on. But many times in our lives, we don't know. Many times in our lives, we don't know why certain things happen. I don't know why I went through certain things even in my own life to this day. I don't have the answers. I don't know why eight years ago, my father passed away suddenly from a, from a brain aneurysm. I don't know why. All right? In these situations I encourage us I encourage us all we need to take heart take up the shield of faith against the lies of the enemy in these times when we don't understand we are invited to exercise our faith and trust in God's providence God is always doing something so much greater than what we may know see or perceive I'm going to close with this. Because of God's providence in Joseph's life, what happened? He was set up to live out his destiny. He was set up to save his family. He was set up to save the dying world around him. But there's one more thing that happened because of that. If Joseph had not been set aside, if Joseph was not sold twice into slavery, if Joseph did not go through prison unjustly, If he did not meet the baker in prison, if he was not set up to provide this wisdom, his brothers would have died. And there's one particular brother that would have died with them. His name is Judah. Judah would have died. And guess what? Jesus came from the Lion of Judah. Jesus is known as the Lion of Judah. And because of God's providence, Judah was set aside. And because of God's providence, we have Jesus, because Jesus came through the line of Judah. Joseph, to the day he died, he could not have even thought anything close to anything like this. God's plan and God's providence shows that God was doing something way bigger than Joseph way bigger than his family, way bigger than Israel, way bigger than what was going on immediately. Church, I encourage us, we need to change our perspective and view things from the balcony of heaven. We need to choose faith and believe that God is still good. And could it be that all the things you and I went through the things we are going through, the things that we will go through, could it be that it's all a setup for your good and for his glory? Could it be that God's hand is upon you and I? Could it be that it's all a setup for our good and for his glory? Amen? Brian, if I can ask him to come up, we're going to close with a song. Before we sing the song, let these promises wash over us. If you just close our eyes. I'm just going to declare these biblical promises, asking Holy Spirit to just align our hearts to these promises. Scripture says that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. Psalm 139, 15 and 16, My frame was not hidden from you, When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Isaiah 55 says, his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. Jeremiah 29, God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Psalm 23, his goodness and mercy shall chase you down all the days of your life. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Romans 8.38, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.28, He works all things out for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose.